Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Righty-ho, we're in Judges chapter 6, and we're looking at a few good men. Let's pray. Precious Lord, we often think, what can we do? What could I possibly do? What could our happy few accomplish for you? Uh, Put that to rest, Lord, as we hear from your word and see what you've done in the past. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're looking at Judges chapter 6 and the story of Gideon. So let's start with uh, the historical setting of Gideon. Now, the book of Judges chronicles a period in Israel's history that was made up of seven repeated cycles. Cycles in which Israel would rebel against God and they would turn to their idols. Then God would give them over to painful consequences. At length, those painful consequences would would result in them crying out to God. And then God would raise up a judge or a leader through whom he would then deliver the nation. And by and by, uh, they would return to their idols. a mournful profile of every one of us. Well, Gideon is one of those judges, one of those leaders that God raised up. And the whole story is the story of how God took a few good men, 300 in all, and through them defeated an army of 135,000. Notice that our crimes always lead to a crisis. Chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. You see, a crisis is often what is necessary to get us to cry out to God. Look at verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So God allowed the thumbscrew to be turned until they cried out. Marvin Lewis, he tells the story of of an old man that he knew and his name was Bill. That was his first name, and that's what he went by. Uh, He had been a law student, but then he fell into heavy drinking. Uh, Lewis said he was 60 years old, but he looked as if he was 100. He looked more like an animal than a human being. And so people referred to Bill as Old Bill because they would always say, well, you know, Old Bill, he's never going to change. Well, so Lewis goes on to say that one night in a drunken brawl, Uh, A man hit him so hard in the face that it blinded him in one eye. And so after that, uh, old Bill became known as One-Eyed Bill. Well, this blow was not only a blow to his eyesight, but it was a blow to his spirit. And he began to despair of life. And this led him uh, to walk into the Water Street Mission in New York. And there he heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and repented of his sins. And Marvin Lewis said, so great was the change that forever afterwards, old Bill was referred to as new Bill. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I tell this story is is because it's evident, isn't it, that, that it was a crisis that led him to cry out to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the Apostle Paul says in a verse that you know very well, 
He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened. This happened, that, what, so he's telling us there's a purpose in it. There was a divine purpose in it. <clears throat> that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So, so right there, Paul is telling us that there was a, a crisis that he was in that was ordained by God, and the whole purpose of it was so that he would stop and they would stop relying on themselves. They would cry out to God, and they would start relying on God instead. Well, a crisis, as we've said a few times, is often what is needed to get us to cry out to God. But a cry from us leads to a command from God. Look at verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he, that's God, sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. So this is a cry from us that leads to a command from God. Uh, in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God says, you call to me, you cry out to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. So, now, this is, this is a truth, but it must be remembered that God has ordained to do much of what he plans to do and accomplish through prayer. Well, what does that indicate? That indicates very often God, knowing your problem, won't do anything until you cry out to him. And of course, you will remember the occasion when the Lord Jesus was asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm. And uh, well, at least he was asleep until Matthew 8, 25 says that the disciples came to him and woke him crying, Lord, save us that we're perishing. And there you can see that it, it wasn't until they cried that the command came from God that stilled the storm. So the cry leads to a command from God. And the command from God should always lead to conviction of sin. Verse 7 again. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, because of the crisis, the suffering they'd been in for years, he sent them a prophet who said, and then here is God's message to them in the middle of their crisis. <clears throat> This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them all before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. So this hardship is not because I have failed you, but because you have sinned. You know, God is very good at pointing out our sin. Uh, you remember through Samuel, uh, he said to David in no uncertain terms, he said, you are the man. And he fell under conviction. And then God said to Joshua, after the Israelites had been defeated at Ai, he said, what are you doing on your face? Coming to me. It is Israel that has sinned. How is it that we respond to conviction of sin? Why do we need God to point his finger at us and say, the problem's with you? Well, because we're so prone to blame someone else for the problem. Uh, Oswald Chambers says the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. And that's what we see here. Gideon blames God. Look at verse 12. 
when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, now we find out later in verse 22 and 23 that this person who's, who's known here is called here the angel of the Lord is in fact divine. This is God appearing in human form, which in theological circles is known as a Christophany. And that is one of Jesus's, one of, one of the many appearances of the second member of the Trinity, which is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Well, let's read it. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied. And remember, at this point, Gideon didn't know who he was talking to. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But, but now the Lord's abandoned us. He's put us into the hand of Midian. Uh, is a quote I'm sure I've given you before. It was a delightful one of Spurgeon who said, Providence is the most convenient horse on which we put the saddles of our folly, <laughs> by which he meant uh, we like to take the blame that we have for our folly and like a saddle, place it on God like he was a horse. Well, he says, if the Lord's with us, why has all this bad stuff happened to us? So notice his theology. He's got this idea that if God is with you, and if he's a good God, well, then he's not going to want anything unpleasant to happen to you. I mean, a loving God, surely he would, he would want you to be healthy, wouldn't he? He would want to prosper your, your financial uh, and, and, and business ventures. Uh, if you buy into this, what we now can see is an age-old prosperity message. Well, then, pretty soon, one of these days, you're going to find yourself facing a, a difficult hardship, and soon you'll be talking just like Gideon, who, who thought that it was God who had let him down. Well, we need to be told that we're the ones where the sin lies. And that's because if we don't blame God, we're going to blame somebody. Uh, I wonder if you remember, well, of course you would remember, uh, all the people in this congregation would, the terrorist attacks on uh, the World Trade Center. And at that time, preachers all over America were, were, were putting their finger on the reason being all the sinners in, the, in this country and their rejection of God and the gay agenda they were blaming it on the, uh, the morals of Hollywood. And let me say this, I, I don't intend to be political at all. I, I avoid that like the plague. Um, but what is terribly confusing to me is, is, is that according to Christianity today, a third of all evangelical Christians who were polled were quite happy to vote for a party who devoted a large, a sizable amount of their time and energies to actually promoting abortion and the LGBT uh, agenda. It's confusing to me. Um, you know, sending a clear message that, you know, what their real concern is, is not the morality of the country, but the economy of the country. Reminding me of, of, of the cry that Israel made to Pilate when they said, we have no other gods but Caesar. Um, but anyway, what we can all agree on in verse 6 is, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. 
So the question is, is how long and to what degree are the institutions of America going to impoverish the Christian message before we crying out to God for help, for deliverance? How, how do we respond to conviction of sin? We're going to blame somebody. We're going to blame God. We'll blame somebody else. Or we will be under conviction. And conviction leads to confession. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And we're not sending you. You ask, well, why on earth would God tell him that? That seems to run opposite of everything that the scripture teaches. The answer is, is because he wants him to face and to confess his own inadequacy, which you can see is exactly what he does. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon asked, how could I possibly save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. I'm the least, I'm the weakest, I'm the bottom of the barrel. And so what are we learning here? That in a real sense, an awareness and a confession of our own weakness is, is essential if God is going to use us. Absolutely essential. If you're ever going to become one of God's few good men and women, a sense of our weakness is, is a prerequisite. Um, you've got to arrive where the following maxim best describes you. I bumped into this on Instagram this week. Life is like a helicopter. I don't know how to operate a helicopter. And, and surely we don't know how to be and to do what God is asking us to be and do. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, I will boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So conviction leads to a confession and a confession and that alone leads to God's consolation. Look at verse 14 again. The Lord turned to him and he said, an astonishing thing, he says, go, to, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Now, as I look at this, he's, he's pointing out to him at three things that I can observe, probably more. But, but first of all, when he says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel from Midian, he's telling him, you don't have the strength in yourself to save Israel from Midian, do you? And we know that's what he was saying because he, we just got through reading that he confessed, no, I don't. And you know, our lesson there is we have to arrive at this position and be so overwhelmed by it that we confess that we do not have the strength in ourselves to be or to do what God is calling us to be and do, not in ourselves. Now, the second thing that seems to be clear that he's communicating by saying this is, is it is your confession of weakness that guarantees my strength. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in the family. So there's this confession of weakness and what's it followed by? The Lord answered, I'll be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Third thing is not as our weakness, a, a, a prerequisite, and the very guarantee of accessing God's strength, but 
notice that we access God's presence and God's power when we go in the strength that we have. It's actually a rather important lesson there, because let's suppose that you've been, you know, waiting for the strength to pray as you should. Perhaps you, you've been waiting for the, the power to, to actually witness to somebody. And, and the reason that you've never actually shared your faith is because you've been waiting for this power and it's never come. And what is God's counsel? It's very simple. Just, just go in the strength that you have. You do that and my power will come upon you. It's all through the scripture, this teaching. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Continue to work out, this is something you do, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act of his good pleasure. So you work it out, and don't worry, God will work it in. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And what happens when we give in the strength that we have? Next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You give it out in your strength and God will give it back in. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says that exact thing. He says, you give and then it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You, you give according to the strength you have and God will give according to the strength he has. With what measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let me say it again. We access God's presence and God's power when we go in the strength that we have. So let's ask the question, what is it that we have when we're in a crisis? What is it that, that, that I already have that I, that I need to employ in God's service? Remember the passage in Exodus chapter 4 where God goes to Moses and he tells Moses to then go to Pharaoh and start demanding that he's going to let his people go? Moses answers and says, well, um, uh, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, Lord, didn't appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Uh, the staff, the stick. And he replied, <clears throat> and God, then if you look at the rest of the story, the whole account of Exodus, God takes, starts with whatever he already had in his hand, and he works the entire miracle of deliverance, starting with what he already had. And so Notice we access God's presence and God's power when you start using what you've already got. What you already have, looking to God to then respond to that in his power. So he starts in the strength that he already had because God said to him, don't worry, I'll be with you. And then you get to verse 34 and we read the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, God is with him. God is with him. You go back to Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 1, 5, God says to Joshua, he says, 
same thing. Nobody will ever be able to stand up to you all the days of your life. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The key to all spiritual success is that God is with you. It's it. It's the whole thing. Hudson Taylor said, all of God's great men and women have been weak in themselves. They were able to do great things for God simply because they reckoned on God being with them. So notice how the kingdom of God operates, how God prepares those who are going to be his few good men and women. He starts with their sin and their crimes he allows to become a crisis. And then the crisis sufficiently increased results in them crying out to God. And a cry leads to a command, and a command then leads to conviction, and conviction leads to them confessing their weakness to God. And the confession of their own sin and their weakness to God leads to God's consolation. Here's his consolation. It's no higher consolation. I'm going to be with you. It's okay. It's all you need to know. So having gone through all of that, where is Gideon with God now? I mean, has he become one of God's few good men? Look at verse 22. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You see, in Exodus 33, verse 20, God said, you cannot see my face, for nobody can see me and live. Well, knowing this, of course, Gideon is now fearing for his life. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Remember Romans 5, 1, it said, it's through faith that we have peace with God. And, and here he is, God's got him to the place where he's confessed his sin and now he's made peace with God. And in order to be prepared, in order to be equipped to be and do what God is asking us to be and do, to be one of God's few good men that he can use, we first of all got to get right with God. Now, you may be asking, well, why are you talking about this few good men? Well, in Luke 13, 22, Somebody asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And in more words than this, he says, that's right. Uh, he confirms that in Matthew 7, 13, when he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So very clearly, everything that God is ever going to accomplish through mankind is going to be accomplished not through the majority, but through a few good men and women, what the Bible calls a remnant. So how does he prepare them to be in this category? Because it's all a work of God. It's not a work of them. First of all, he gets them in right standing with him through confession. That is, they, get, they have peace with God. And then secondly, he makes them purge their idols. Look at verse 24. 
So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it the Lord is peace. Okay, so he's just built an altar to the Lord. And to this day, the writer says it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Now listen to this, that same night that he built the altar to the Lord, God said to him, I want you to take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, false god, and cut down the Asherah bull, pole, false god. Next verse, he says, burn it. Okay, now, you notice something here? To the degree to which you intend to build an altar in your heart to the one true God, the God of peace, is the degree to which God is going to expect you to tear down the idols in your own backyard. Get, get his family, he's got, he's got idols in his backyard. You say, well, that's appalling. Well, we all kind of do. If you're going to be one of God's few good men and women, whatever is more important to you than God, it's got to be chopped to pieces, it's got to be put on the altar, and it's got to be burned, disintegrated. Somebody said you can expect God to first challenge you privately before he'll ever use you publicly. And you see, the thing that, that we have to consider that we're, to help us take this seriously is that idolatry just runs rampant in the human heart. You know, wherever... Christ is rejected, idolatry is erected. I was looking this week, and I, we've been looking at a food show that's largely filmed in Thailand, and I found out that there are 20,000 Buddhist temples in Thailand. One whole temple for every single baptized Christian. Um, the Hindus, I was reading, have more than... 330 million gods and goddesses. Now, as Christians, we therefore ought to be very suspicious of our old nature's craving for idols and, 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 and to, to oversee ourselves by constantly checking in our backyard to see what has become more important than God. So how does he prepare the few? Peace with God, purge your idols, and then part with your confidence in men. It, so often God will do something and we're all looking to God to do it and he'll raise up somebody uh, to help us and then the next thing we know, we're looking to them. Hopefully they don't let us down. We are idolaters. Um, that's exactly what God does here. According to chapter seven, verse one to three, uh, Gideon has 32,000 men in his army and he's got to come up against 135,000 Midianites. That means he's outnumbered 4.2 to 1. Okay, but then God tells Joshua, and I read this, you have too many men <laughs> for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. So he tells everybody who is afraid to leave. Guess how many leave? 22,000 leave. Now, they may be cowards, but at least they're honest. Uh, 10,000 remain. And in chapter 7, verse 4 to 6, God says, nope, you've still got too many. We're going to put you through another test. And so he takes them all down to the stream to drink. And then those who cup their hands 
uh, and who drink, looking about, staying alert, he says they can stay. But the ones who kneel down, uh, rather like a dog, and start drinking, who don't demonstrate the same level of urgency, they've got to go. 9,700 more leave. And in chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men, with these few men, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Now it's 300 coming up against 135,000, which is exactly 450 to 1. There are, their odds are terrible. What does all this tell us? What's the whole point? In my mind, what is the whole point of this passage? Is that all God wants, all God's looking for, all God requires is a few good men and a few good women. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, God has always done his greatest work through a remnant. Get rid of the notion that he's interested in numbers. And what does God ask of these few good men? We'll finish with that. First of all, and that's what it's mostly been about, what most of it will be about in your life and mine, is God getting you right with him. And then secondly, knowing God's promise that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, engage the enemy. Judges chapter 7, verse 16, he said, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets in their hands and empty jars in their hands with torches inside. So they've got these torches, these lit torches that are concealed in the middle of these clay pots. Okay? Uh, and then they engage the enemy. So Gideon gives the command. This is verse 20. The three companies blew their trumpets. What are they doing that for? They're sounding the alarm. And they smashed the jars, thereby letting their light shine that hitherto had been concealed in this jar of clay. Those who share the gospel, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, carry this treasure, carry this light in earthen vessels, in jars of clay. That's our bodies. And what's the lesson? The lesson is, is when we are prepared to let God break that pot of clay, when we're prepared to let him break us of our idols, to break us of our fears, to break us of our will, then the light of the gospel will truly begin to shine in our lives. They were also to shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And if you go over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, or you go over to Revelation 19, 21 and 22, we're told that the sword of the Lord was the word of God. And notice, again, blowing the trumpet meant sounding the alarm. The gospel is a very loving message, the most loving message that ever fell on human ears. But it's also an alarming call to repent of your sins and therefore be saved from the wrath to come. And, and, and if we're to learn anything from this text, we're to sound that alarm. Nothing there about watering down the gospel or taking the alarm out of it so that you'll be more seeker-friendly. And folks, if you take courage, you go in the strength that you have,
trusting that God's promise will join you. It will be with you. And you engage the Midianites, the lost world, with the light of the gospel. You will see what God can do with just a few good men and a few good women. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would uh, first teach us that, that sure we can do nothing, but with you all things are possible. All things are possible to he that believes. And that whatever it is you're asking us to do, of course we can't do it. But knowing you'll accompany us, we can. We can surely do it and we can see that all the credit and all the glory will go to you. May we be passionate about, give us a passion to to find out what you're asking us as individuals to do for you, and then to move forward in faith and to, and, and to experience the supernatural life of having you actively involved and in our lives, which better put is us actively involved in your purposes. Uh, let us see what you can do through this tiny little congregation and through each one of us individually and give us the faith to, to believe with you we can make a difference that will count for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, give a wee benediction. This is from the dear Apostle Paul, Romans 15, 5 and 6. It's, it's a word of blessing. Um, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lovely, lovely blessing and may you, may you go in peace. Thank you for listening to Dr. Baz. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.